This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Emerald, we've got to stop the podcast. The Greens are over. We're done. What? What happened? Well, we didn't win the Fat and by election. We fucked up. We didn't? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Shit. I had everything riding on that. I've lost a lot of money from this, Tom. Fuck. <laughs> you, you placed a bet on the Greens bringing it home? Of course I did. Of course I did. It's the green slide. Oh. It's Greensland. What and it all idiot. comes back to Fadden, right? The by-election happened after we recorded last week's episode, and I think our take last week was, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back to talk about it some more. Well, <laughs> well, I think we were correct. We could we could say our analysis was bang on. It was very boring. Safe yeah. Liberal seat, retained by LNP candidate Cameron Caldwell, uh, retiring Stuart Robert. He's fucked off. Labor was saying we were never going to win this. We had no chance whatsoever. Anything less than a 4% swing to the Liberals was going to be an embarrassment for Peter Dutton. Caldwell ended up getting a 4.6% swing on the primary vote and okay. the LNP got so a no 2 no embarrassment then. That's good. Well, Just over the embarrassment line. I guess I guess threshold. Labor meant two-party preferred swing. They only got 2.8% oh, okay. on the two-party preferred. So I guess oh, according to Labor, okay. this is, it is embarrassing. embarrassment. Okay. Uh, Dutton, I think, called it a resounding result. Which oh, is I'm really- so confused. <laughs> it's what? like everyone, everyone's got their own takes. Mm. Labor, the candidate had a 0.4% swing against, uh, towards her, uh, against her rather, on the primary vote. Mm-hmm. The turnout was just 67% for the by-election, Ooh. which is pretty fucking insane. I thought, is it insane yeah. though? Well, I guess, I mean, I know, but I just figured that compulsory voting just means that People don't differentiate when they do and don't vote, even if even a by election isn't by election. We're like, oh god, I gotta go do this. Annoying I think people vote. just wouldn't have known it was happening. Yeah, okay. Right. I don't think people are like, no, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this one out. I think they just didn't know. Well, the most important thing is that apparently this means that everyone hates the Greens. What the Greens mm. are doing is wrong. We should give up. We suck. Everybody okay. hates us, and we're on the path for electoral wipeout. Greens mm-hmm. candidate Scott Turner saw a swing against him of 4.6%. Okay, so okay. the Greens polled 6.1%. So it's not a good result for the party. No one could deny no. that. Yeah. Legalised cannabis got 7.3%. They're running for the first time. And obviously, I guess, a whole bunch of voters went straight from the Greens to the actual people who like to smoke the green. green. Yeah, yeah. One Nation polled 8.9%, which to me seems to be a bit would be a bigger story than the Greens losing, but there you go. I guess people don't care about that. What, what did they get last time? Do you know... What One Nation got last time? That was a small swing to them, I think, yeah, in okay. this particular result, so a little bit, mm-hmm. little itty-bitty. Um, some hot takes. PR guy, our friend, says, housing and soaring rents are major issues in Fadden. There'll be a lot of theories around why the Greens vote crashed, but it's difficult to rule out their ugly housing imbroglio having an impact. Can't rule it out. Can't rule it out. Difficult to rule it out. <laughs> friend of the show, Don Brown. Max Allenmather and Green should stick with their strategy to vote with Dutton and the LNP to block housing. Hashtag Fadden votes. Hashtag Fadden votes. So he tagged us specifically. And then tweeted he us said, Greenslander. At serious danger, AU Greenslander. <laughs> Which I'm like, I think Don is, he, he is walking the line of like, he really wanted to tag me. Maybe this is, uh, you know, narcissistic, but clearly he's having a go at me. 
with the right. Greenslander thing, but yes. he's too scared to directly tag me. He doesn't want the cafeteria interactions to be that level of awkward. <laughs> he just wants it to be level of awkward enough that I'm like, Don, you know, fan of the show. <laughs> How's your hash browns? <laughs> <laughs> Greenslander. Hello, fellow Greenslander. Hmm. So the logic here is people hate the Greens' approach on housing, so they mm. switch their vote to either the Liberals. To the Liberals who, who, are, who are also, quote, blocking housing. Blocking, who are teaming up with the Greens, our best yes, friends. Yes, teaming up, the coalition, the unholy alliance, yep. Or they're shifting their vote to legalise cannabis, which is a party mm. which, look, I don't know, maybe they have a housing policy. I have not researched Top policy, the, famously. The but, yeah, build one yeah. million public homes, freeze rents. <laughs> First time they're running, and I, I assume that the Greens, I don't know whether the Greens were centering uh, issues around cannabis legalisation or not as part of their <laughs> thing. Of course, the same people tweeting this wouldn't care about those people's opinions on legalising cannabis because they're Queensland labour hacks who obviously are tough on crime. Mm. And, of course, all the voters were completely informed on all the issues and the Greens mm. campaigning prowess the resources and the time and energy put into trying to win and increase their vote in the Fadden by-election is exactly the same as the campaigns <laughs> that were run in, say, Griffith or across mm. Brisbane or that yeah. will come up in McNamara and Richmond. Yeah, yeah We actually knocked on 20,000 um, doors in, in Fadden or we had 20,000 conversations. What do we, not like 100,000 doors in Griffith, didn't we? Sorry. But, no, I like I think it's fairly transparent that the Greens didn't um, run an active, you know, campaign in yep. in Fadden. Uh, I think we've got a council and a state election coming up and bigger fish to fry than clearly not a winnable seat, but we have generally a commitment. Like I think there are a few exceptions to this. I don't know if it's the same in other states that we usually try to give voters the option to vote Green if they want to, and so we will put up a candidate even when it might cost us and not necessarily, you know, give us an amazing outcome yeah. Um, so that people have the opportunity to vote green. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, it looks, I, I think it's not an unexpected thing. I think it would be foolish as a party to not at least spend a bit of time and go, oh, okay, you know, do we want to look at this? What happened here? What does this mean for running in by-elections and, and how we approach it? Did we miss an opportunity to try and make it more of a thing? Yep. I would say probably not. Um, yep. But you got to ask the questions if you actually want to avoid becoming the Labor Party where you never internally um, criticise or evaluate any of the decisions that you make. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the best way to do that is to read the Australian Financial Review, which is fast becoming oh. the serious danger paper of record, I would argue. I think this is the place <laughs> yeah, we go to. we love the AFR. <laughs> <laughs> Just the voice of the unfiltered voice of capital. It's and there's an article from John Black. Do you know John Black? No. Okay. He's a former Labor Senator for Queensland. Mm-hmm. He's Executive Chairman of Demographic and Pro- Political Profiling Company, Australian Development Strategies. Cool. The Real ADS. job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he does this like incredible piece running through the the results of the Fadden by-election and what it says. His general vibe is, hey, Elbow, your, your honeymoon is over. I assume John Black is a labor right reactionary, basically, and of course reads into those results everything that he wants to believe about Australian politics. But the piece on the Greens was truly wild. This is I haven't seen this, and I just saw a little bit. It's funny. There, don't worry, there are very funny jokes littered throughout. So see, John's okay. having some political analysis, but he's having a bit of fun as well. Okay, like us. 
Undergraduate stupidity costs Greens. If Labor is in trouble, it's nothing compared to the demographic cul-de-sac the Greens have been led into by their housing spokesman, Mad Max Chandler Mather. Okay, calling him Mad Joke Max makes him even cooler. First Got it, of all. yeah. Yeah. The Greens bombed out big time, losing 4.5% of the 2022 vote of 10.7% to both the Legalized Cannabis Party, a.k.a. the Pot Party, and to the LNP. The Greens' strategy of voting with the coalition against Labor's housing reforms almost halved their primary vote in Fadden. That's just something that he's saying. He's just saying that's it. That's all it is. That's, he's that's just it. saying that's, that's just the fact. That's yeah. it. And damaged ALP, but boosted the coalition and the pot party, who'd be delighted if only they could work it out what happened, man. Wait. <laughs> Work it out what happened, man. This guy really has been hanging out with the pot party before writing this. The pot party. Mm, gonna go right for the AFR. Very good, very good. The supposed beneficiaries of Mad Max's strategy, renters, swung to the coalition candidate Captain Feathersword. That's a reference to the fact oh. that Cameron Caldwell went on a swingers, a pirate-themed swinging cruise back in uh, 2010. Spencer, what brought him down? Andrew, a series of photos and accusations that Mr Caldwell was a member of a well-known swingers club forced the LNP's hand. Mr Caldwell went out on the Utopia Swingers Club's pirate cruise in September 2010. The LNP said Mr Caldwell hasn't lived up to the party's high standards. Oh, OK, a niche one. All right, for yep. the fans. With lesser swings to the pop party. It's always party time on the Gold Coast. The okay. renters of Fadden swung against the Greens big the renters time. renters of Fadden. And do against Labor. Do you know many renters of Fadden, John Black? <laughs> they friends of yours, are they? Go of on. course, all this, this is all just based on booth distribu- distribution as well. So these certain booths where there's a high proportion of renters went a certain way, therefore renters hate the Greens apparently. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, via loss of Greens preferences, explaining most of the overall swing against the LP. As Max would say, how dare they? This display of Wait, undergraduate stupidity and hubris is from that the Greens a Max is quote? Good. Well, that's the kind of thing he would say because oh, okay. he's, he's always is like, he, "Is he genu- is he confusing Max with Greta Thunberg? How dare you? How dare they? <laughs> this display of undergraduate stupidity and hubris from the Greens is going to flatten their primary vote across the country if Fadden is any guide. Right. So okay. there we go. It's all done. It's across the board. The Greens suck. And uh, we can tell this by this one by election of this safe Liberal seat. And as I said, as I tweeted out there, hey, you're absolutely right, Queensland Labor. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. Don't change anything. All you mm. need is all you need to know about Australian politics and how you're going as a party is written in the results of the Fadden by election. The Greens are of no threat to you whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I'd pull resources out of any of these marginal Greens Labor seats. Yeah. Um, just keep going. We, we believe in you. If you want the goal for life, free marijuana, vote Greens. The Greens claim to be the champions of housing availability, but this certainly demonstrates to me that they're the true champions of hypocrisy. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcasts. Well, wipe away your tears, listeners. It's going to be all right. It's Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia, not an official Greens Party podcast. This show is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and it's produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. And this week we are discussing the death, the murder of the Commonwealth Games <laughs> and landlords. They're just like you and me. They're just like you and me. <laughs> Hello and thank you to new patrons. If you go to patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU and pay as little as three bucks a month, you can get bonus content and support the show. Lovely people like Ruben, Sam, Shash, Kyle, who's up for $6.66 a month. Very nice. Nice, classic. 
Daniel Ace Patreon Access 2023. Thank you so mm. much, Patreon Access. <laughs> Such a beautiful name for a girl. <laughs> Russell, Keel, and Bufka. Thank you very much. Uh, you get bonus content. Recently, we reviewed the Bob Brown documentary, The Giants. That was a Patreon episode. We've demolished Friendly Geordies. He's, that's over mm. now. He's done. He's yeah, cancelled. Owned. And uh, sign up because coming up we have a QA and a episode uh, where we're answering, we're answering all your cues. Uh, <laughs> you're going to hear an interview with a former Green senator and we, we're even going to start reading a book together, a big, giant, fat book about the Greens. And I'm not reading it. But yes. Tom is, and he'll Everyone read to me read. like a little bedtime story. <laughs> if you don't want to be a patron or you already are, uh, uh, we totally appreciate that. That's all good. Please give us a five-star review. That helps spread the word and gets more attention on the pod. Or just tell a friend about it, particularly if you're you know, regularly connected with other left-wing people or anyone, generally other comrades. Let them know that you uh, listen to Serious Danger, you're a danger dog, mm. and that they should be too. When faced with that, you know that existential crushing feeling you get when people ask have you been? How are you going? What have you been up to? Something like that. Um, instead of having to search for an honest or a dishonest answer, you can just be like listening to Serious Danger, a good podcast, or better <laughs> now that I've heard the latest the Serious Danger episode, something like that. So that's a tip. Ladies and gentlemen, Brisbane, the sunshine capital of Queensland, the sunshine state of Australia, welcomes you to the 12th Commonwealth Games. Can I welcome you to the Games, friends? All right. On Tuesday this week, Victorian Premier Dan Andrews, Dictator Dan, you may know him, shocked the world when he announced that they were pulling out of hosting the 2026 Commonwealth Games, leaving it without a host city, lost, searching, effectively cancelled. Tom? Where were you when you heard the news? Uh, you know, I'm actually not ready to talk about this yet. Like, yeah, I'm still I working know. through it's my big. emotions. And- it's been a lot. It's been a hard week. I don't know where I was. It last. It was Tuesday, was it? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the yeah, hell I was doing, sure. but um, it, it, I must say, it has been all anyone's been talking about in Victoria this week. Mm. Um, so many range of emotions. I'm very interested on the correct take here because some of the worst people in the world. Are agree- agreeing with the endorsement. I'm torn because I don't give a shit about the Commonwealth, certainly. I don't give a shit about sport. There was a brief period in which, you know, because it was, it was in regional areas across the state, my hometown of Warnable was one of the potential locations where stuff was maybe going to happen. I don't think that mm. ended up being locked in or whatever. But, yes, some people are very sad. And I must say it was quite sad seeing people with their little signs of saying a proud venue of the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Aww. And all these people are, like, tearing up those signs or, like, Aww. chopping them in half and stuff because it's all <laughs> fucking that. over. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the um, the ominous, like, it, it just goes to show how constantly journos must get hammered with media releases and shit from the government because at 8.08 8, 8 a.m. that Tuesday mm. morning, there's this tweet from Chanel Vella which says, what's going on with the Vic government today? Press secretaries have been ghosting journos since last night. It's 8 a.m., by the way. Like, do you guys just text each other goodnight? <laughs> um, ghosting journos since last night. No replies to texts or calls this morning. All very quiet, which is absolutely not the norm. They mm. knew this was the calm before the storm at 9.30 a.m., Dictator Dan calls the presser uh, and says, we're not holding, we're not hosting anymore because it's too expensive. He cited ballooning costs, saying that revised figures showed the games that were originally budgeted at $2.6 billion had blown out to 
at least six billion, maybe seven, maybe more. Basically, he was like more than six, definitely, probably seven. Who knows? Um, he said it is in fact, uh, is it? It is in fact at least six billion. Could be as high as seven billion. And I cannot stand here and say to you that I have any confidence that even the seven billion number would appropriately and adequately fund these games. Yikes! As a yeah, I mean, I think if I was going to spend. $2.6 billion, and then I realized it would be $7 billion. I'd probably be like, ma, it's a bit outside my budget, isn't it? Should probably not. We probably can't do it. Right. That's, yes, that's a reasonable assumption. I suppose the controversy is was it really going to cost $7 billion for fuck's yes. sake? Where'd you get these goddamn numbers? I know. And I thought, as someone who's like a pretty savvy media dude, like that, you know, the strategy, particularly throughout mm. the pandemic, Andrew's government was had a pretty clear and deliberate strategy as to how you roll out this often very shitty news that's going to make people a lot of uh, anger. And I do have a level of admiration for him doing those press conferences, answering Mm. all those questions. I thought that was pretty decent. Um, Of course, he tweeted this out saying it's the right thing to do, which is what every Dan Andrews tweet is, any announcement. We're doing this because it's the right thing. People will criticise me, but But, this is the right thing to do. I'm sorry, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, Sue me. I will not apologize. But I heard a quote that he was saying, you know, I've made a lot of tough decisions in this in this job. This is not one of them. Oh, really? And and he's refused to apologize. I'm like, the way that he did, yeah, he refused to apologize. He refused to apologize. The way he's sort of framing this is like, fuck all you people, no Commonwealth Games for anyone, and this is the right thing to do. Just seems like a weird own goal. Is it fuck all you people though? Like, because okay, the messaging is well, instead of spending this money on hosting the games, we are still going to honour a lot of those commitments around infrastructure in the regions. And so he did this press conference as he was in, I can't remember exactly where he was, but he was in regional Victoria announcing this, you know, multi-billion dollar package for housing and and infrastructure. He said they're still going to do sporting, you know, sports funding, community sports funding in the regions. And it's like... I, I mean, yeah, that sounds like great messaging to me instead of this thing that's just about this nebulous international kind of one-off event thing. We're going to spend it on the stuff that everyone benefits from that's actually you might care about. Oh, totally. Yes, yes. No, this is the best version of a casual games that you could mm. sort of want and the fact is maintaining those commitments is good. I suppose the crit- criticism is it's like the Andrews government chose to do the regional thing, so this, this is yes. their decision. And so they would argue that these cost blowouts are because of that decision, that there is a cheaper version of the games that you could do utilising existing infrastructure and venues in Melbourne, and the Andrews government has said no to that. Well, these are also people who are saying this is humiliating and they care about Victoria's reputation as a place to host these international events, which I do not give a shit about. No, I think that I think yeah, I just I take issue with the the idea that it's like you're taking the games away from the people because <laughs> and again, I think maybe this is part this is largely because of the bubble that I live in and socially like I don't know many people who would be like not the Commonwealth Games. I was so excited. No. It's like no, the people who are losing from this are Big business and like the Commonwealth Games, whatever corporation thing, which apparently had eight hours notice before the decision that this was happening. Um, There was, and yeah, and there were a bit embarrassing. There were people saying, why not just move it to Melbourne? Um, Dan Andrews said it would still cost about 
3.5, maybe $4 billion, and it then wouldn't deliver those legacy benefits for the regions. Right. And so he's like, no, well, I always wanted to do this regional model. I don't know, has anywhere else ever done this kind of regional model? Because I actually hadn't heard that this was something they were doing, being from outside of Victoria, until this cancellation, and that this is part of the reason apparently for those massive costs that obviously instead of just doing it in a city where there's the existing infrastructure that they were going to do it for the regions because that's also in Queensland, that's like one of the big criticisms, the reason that, you know, the Greens have sat down at a joint press conference with Catters, uh, with Catter Party MPs is because they're like, well, yeah, we don't want the Olympics either because there's nothing for the regions. Mm. Yeah, look, I don't know whether Commonwealth Games have um, used the regional approach. I know that the... Victorian model was going along the Barcelona model. Apparently Barcelona did oh, this yeah, amazing kind job of like, yeah. extracting all this value out of either the was it the Commonwealth or the or the I thought uh, it was Olympics, Olympics maybe. Olympic, yes, I guess. Yes, Spain isn't in the Commonwealth. Oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yes, yeah, so apparently they extracted great value in the early 90s and and lasting infrastructure came about as a result of hosting those games and that's the kind of model they were going for. They wanted to bring that kind of investment to the regions. Now there was some crazy shit. I heard that some people like some people pulled out of the idea of building this stuff because of the weirdness of the contracts or, or what people were being asked to do. For example, like oh. building pools in Geelong, building two pools literally for the two-week sporting event and then demolishing one of them afterwards. Sure, like just not. crazy shit where you go into legacy mode after the after the um, Commonwealth Games has gone through and that literally involved you know, tearing down or demolishing a sporting event or a pool that has just been built. events are fucking insane. This is what I just like, yeah, that is ridiculous. I kind of, yeah, and I want to go into, you know, the implications for the Olympics and these events more generally. But just quickly, uh, thoughts on some of the reactions that we got. So, for example, this Mark Knight cartoon (laughs) in the Herald Sun that's got Dan Andrews with holding a gun to a runner's, to a sprinter's head as they're, yep. like, on the track. <laughs> um, he says, on your mark. And then there's this tiny little speech bubble that says the only part of the games we're holding is the closing ceremony. Very ominous. Yeah, it might be a bit much. Um, the runner is wearing a jersey saying Victoria 2026, so I suppose mm. it's that's a metaphor for oh, the games. Oh, he's shooting the games, not the he's runner. He's sh- <laughs> shooting the games. Well, the, the runner looks very scared. But strangely, Dan Andrews also looks afraid. Like, what's con- Dan Andrews still has this kind of like blustering, like this kind of nervous look on his face when I feel like he should look very menacing since he's holding a gun that he's a murderer. Yes. He should look scary, but he looks afraid himself. Is about to shoot that athlete in the head and kill all our Commonwealth Games dreams. So sad. So sad. You shared this other take. Who is Sam Kennard? Do you know Kennard Storage? No. Uh, you don't you know that storage company? Anyway, they, they just store the big stuff. big one? Okay. Yes, he's, and he's a crazy um, capitalist who loves the free market. I believe he was a candidate mm-hmm. for maybe the Liberal Democrats at some point. Oh, okay. Um, but, yes, crazy, yeah, low taxes, capitalism is great, lefties are awful and terrible. And, um, yes, he tweeted that uh, Victoria and dishing the Commonwealth Games should remember the adage about boat ownership. The two best days of owning a boat are the day you buy the boat and the day you sell the boat. He was <laughs> against the Commonwealth Games in the first place. They should never have done it, but getting rid of it is a good thing. He says you've just sold the boat and saved a bucket load. 
Yes. About Sorry, the yeah, right. yeah. So you save a lot of money. So I just like, yeah, is the right wing broadly positioned, the free market position is that, you know, government spending billions of dollars on these events is bad? I don't, in, oh no. like, I haven't come across that. I mean, yeah, it's interesting that you've seen that as a take from the right because what I have seen is a lot of query mail coverage that seems like the Courier Mail's position editorially is clearly very pro these big events. Like they right. love the Olympics. That's a huge legacy. It's so important for Brisbane. And it's just that, you know, the Labor Party is somehow going to fuck it up and it's not doing right. And like Labor in Victoria fucked up the Commonwealth Games and Labor in Queensland has to avoid doing the same for the Olympics. But it's really funny because it like they ran a poll in a story about the Greens calling for the Olympic Games to be scrapped. So in the wake of the the Victorian decision, um, the Queensland Greens came out and said, Max tweeted, quote, Dan Andrews has said a cost blowout of $6 billion was well and truly too much for a 12-day sporting event when cancelling the Commonwealth Games. So how does Queensland and federal labour justify spending over $7 billion on the Brisbane Olympics and destroying a local school and park for a 14-day event? Um, Amy McMahon. Well, two more days. So two more days. So that's probably the two more days of cost. Sport, yeah. Amy McMahon put out a, a media release as well, saying that Queensland Labor should seriously rethink hosting the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. She said, "Is the Queensland Premier really going to look everyday people in the eye and say she will be taking money away from schools and hospitals to fund the 2032 games?" And this ran the courier courier ran these lines, and they included they always do their little polls in the story. Yep. Asking whether it should be scrapped. And there's like resounding support from courier mail readers wow. to scrap the Olympic Games. And even following that, I've seen them putting out like op-eds on why it's so important that, you know, <laughs> Brisbane retains its status as a sporting capital, you know, its emerging status as a sporting capital when it hosts the, the Olympic Games. But consistently those polls from the readers are like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. Totally. What's the general vibe on the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast? Are people fond of it? I remember there were lots of issues at the time, of course, as, as yeah. there always are at these massive sporting events, and people still have a glow of the wonderful memories of 2018. It's a good question. I don't really remember, like, what people, how ordinary people felt, to be honest. I think I was fairly, I was very new to politics as well when that would have been happening, so I wasn't mm. kind of trying to keep an eye on what people thought, and I personally didn't care a whole lot. Um, so that would be the only, and I, I saw, you know, what I do remember from that is the, the protests that first nations people held, um, uh, you know, they had held the stolen wealth games protests, um, down the Gold Coast and kind of blockades and, and rallies and things like that. Um, protesting, I guess the legacy of the Commonwealth games, which there's a question about whether the Commonwealth games in particular, as this like celebration of, of, you know, British colonialism, are particularly irrelevant and outdated and that people don't have a connection with them or that they kind of, the Commonwealth Games are on their way out, whereas the Olympics might still have that prestige and and people care more about the Olympics. I mean, obviously people care more about the Olympics, but you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I'm just thinking about what would happen. Why are you smiling happened. so much? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about what would happen if Dan Andrews said, guys, <laughs> we are cancelling the Commonwealth Games because it's as an anti-racist racist gesture. Oh, this God. Is, like, this is, <laughs> this is white yeah. supremacy. Just the courier mail <laughs> would, would yeah. melt down of the, the level of wokeness involved. Oh they would God. lose their fucking minds. So woke. Yeah. No, the, um, I, I mean, it's true, though, that 
I, while I think it is very wise and it's a pertinent question to be like, does this mean that we should scrap the Olympics? And certainly a lot of the arguments carry over when you just look at this, that we're like, wow, this is a big fucking waste of money, isn't it? Yes. So is the Olympics. It's true though, that canceling the Olympics would be a much bigger deal. You know, Mm. the, the revenues that are generated, the, the sponsorships, the broadcasting, ticketing, the tourism, all of that is really a fraction of something of the Commonwealth games or, or other big events like that. The Premier Premier Palaszczuk has come out, you know, came out that afternoon and said the state is 100% committed to still hosting the Olympics. But I think it is a pretty massive turning point for the Greens who, uh, as you know, we've had Amy McMahon. There's an episode um, that we've done previously where we spoke to Amy about the Olympics and the community campaign against that in her electorate in South Brisbane, particularly because of the impacts of that $2.7 billion demolition and rebuild of the Gabba Stadium, which Mm. would destroy a local state school. It would destroy this this public park. Um, It would mean the destruction of homes to make way for this warm-up track. Mm. Um, And, yes, there's this real kind of community uprising there. And Amy in particular I think has a really – like a, a lot of information on how, why the Olympics are shit and has been doing a lot of, of groundwork there. She has this, if anyone's interested, I think her Instagram is at Amy Mac South BNE, that she did like a reel about the Olympics being shit for host cities even before this went up. You know, every Olympics since the 60s has lost money. Um, you know, the Sydney mm. Olympics, for example, had a $1.3 billion deficit. The tourism benefits don't really stack up. When you look at it, a lot of people will choose not to go to that city that otherwise would have when the Olympics are mm. on. They won't visit other um, other venues while the Olympics are on. When locals get a vote, they pretty much always say, no, we don't want the Olympics. We want the money spent somewhere else and we don't want all this kind of, you know, one-off useless infrastructure. Um, There's the Olympics committee itself is fucking incredibly opaque. There's no transparency. These deals are really fucking dodgy and like no one knows what's in them with the government. And, of course, there's probably this, this massive issue that no one was really talking about, I guess, with the Commonwealth stuff. But in the middle of a housing crisis, we know that the Olympics are likely to drive up housing prices more to displace people from their homes. Um, so, yes, I think there's there's a lot of impetus there to push for this. And what did you say you've got here? She tweeted the Gabba Stadium knockdown and rebuild budget has already, has already nearly tripled. Yeah. And they yeah. haven't even put any shovels in the ground. Okay, so yeah. this, the Gabba redevelopment is already three times what they said it would be now. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, they were like it might be up to $1 billion initially and now it's $2.7 billion at least. I think it's very likely that it'll be even more than that. God damn. Yep. But looking at those costs, yeah, I guess there is a question around how Dan Andrews has come to this figure of $7 billion. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly there's... We know that there are very high construction costs at the moment, uh, you know, labor shortages in the construction industry, there's supply chain in, um, issues in the construction industry. There's, and I think the Victorian state government, as I understand it, is particularly sensitive to this idea of expenses because they have a kind of growing debt. There was this article in the conversation by Jack Anderson, who is a sports lawyer. I guess that's a thing. And he said, in some senses, the Commonwealth Games could be said to be a victim of long COVID, which I bet Boy. I bet he was really, um, really happy with that one. But like basically being like, you know, the state kind of had to, you know, do all this spending because they had these really long lockdowns. They've got this growing debt. They don't want to add this to that growing debt. But there's also <laughs> the Australian ran this story that 
there was an Andrews government funded report in 2019 that looked at the feasibility of hosting the Commonwealth Games, but it was never even considering hosting them in 2026. It was saying, yes, maybe there will be benefits in in 2034. It'll be feasible to do that then. But it was like it'll be a it'll be a push even to do it for 2034. And they were the authors of this report or the people involved in the report were then surprised to to see the government come out and say, we're going for 2026. There's questions around why they ever thought that they could do it for $2.6 billion, where that estimate came from. Right. And obviously, again, we come back to shitty fucking consultants who were like, <laughs> like p- probably responsible for that initial estimate and potentially now, yeah, I, I, I just don't know yet where that $7 billion comes from now. And I think we, I don't know if we'll get more information on that as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, the Victorian Liberals are going quite hard. They're saying we should have a review, we should have an audit of this to find out the info. The Labor government have been sort of like uh, shifting some responsibility to the consultants, be like, yeah. Right, yeah. PwC made us do it or Ernst & Young or whatever. Yeah, which is uh, smart because everyone hates them at the moment. Everyone so, hates consultants, know. yes, as, yeah. as covered right here on Serious Dojo. That's right. It, it makes sense. <laughs> but I think what is galling is like up to as, as, as recently as a month ago, the Andrews government was championing how awesome the Commonwealth Games are going to be mm. and how they're going to be great for for the state. And you sort of go, well, you knew that something do- dodgy was going on, um, but you mm. lied. These politicians and these government figures, they lied to us, Emerald. I know. It sounds like the writing was sort of on the wall, like there were kind of hints at, in the state budget that they were like, yeah, their expenses are going to be a bit higher than we think. Um, but, yes, as I understand, the Liberals have referred it to the Auditor General um, saying that, you know, they need to figure out what happened here, why did the costs go up so much and what are the costs of the cancellation going to be because the Labor government has said that they're not going to tell us how much it'll cost to um, get out of that contract and to scrap the games. Mm. Um, Victorian Liberals said, quote, there has to be some kind of cover-up somewhere along the line because you can't go from a budget that has the games costed at around $2.6 billion and then be told seven weeks later that, no, it's $7 billion. We're just smelling a rat here. Mm. Um, there's also an infrastructure expert that uh, was referred to in The Guardian that says inflation and labour can't account for the $7 billion cost estimate used by the Victorian government to call off the games. But, I mean, different experts say different things. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that it could have just actually blown out by that much, probably a combination of underestimating it at the start. But, like, it's true. Inflation is fucking running wild. Mm. Construction costs are very high. And, again, we return to the fact that these events always, always go massively over budget. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important for the left or for the Greens' critique here is, is this is not an aberration. You know, the bigger critique is about, yes, the cost-benefit analysis of these massive events and the yeah, how wasteful they are, how much they are at this kind of propaganda, really, uh, an advertising opportunity for states, for governments and for big business, for the locations where they are, and how any criticism of them and any discussion mm-hmm. of the kind of impact these have on local communities and whether it really is the best use of everybody's money and effort and resources to make yeah. life. If your goal is to make life better for your citizens, which is how these mm. games and big events are yeah. justified, <laughs> um, maybe there's a way of a different way of doing that, like directly yeah. building houses and stuff. Like the the investment in the regions of Victoria should not be dependent on us hosting. Yeah, that's right. A exactly. Colonialist sporting event that nobody fucking cares about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. The Victorian Greens, um, you know, as part of kind of the Greens push on consultants being shit, Tim Reid was saying, quote, there's a real risk that they being consultants will tell the government what it wants to hear. There's a risk they won't say this is a bad idea if there's a potential to get more work. And certainly that's right. Like you can imagine that these consultants would have just been like saying, no, this is great. And, you know, there's going to be all these benefits um, and knowing that maybe there, there wouldn't be. And they were for everyone. I assume Ernst Young has done some yeah. consulting work for the Commonwealth Games Federation yeah. or for the Olympic Committee. Probably, like, yeah. Like they probably have, yeah, work for and an, a variety of conflict of interest for all yeah. these massive organisations because they are the big four. Yeah. So do you reckon that – what do you think is going to happen with the Commonwealth Games? Will they will they find a home, the little games that could? <laughs> GC, baby. GC 2026. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the thing. So the day – uh, you know, on, on the day of, I think, or within a day of them being cancelled, all the other states and territories are like, no, thank you. They ruled out <laughs> hosting it. Um, I really liked the Courier Mail headline for this piece of news, which was Aussie states commit con games murder um, by ruling it out. And initially, yeah, the Gold Coast also was one of those cities that was like, yes, I know that we did the Commonwealth Games in 2018, but no, we, we can't really do it this time. But that's before Maverick Mayor uh, Tom Tate came out and was like, actually, I've thought about it and I reckon maybe we can. Um, Towards the end of the week, he was like, you know what, we can do it if you pay us a lot of money to do it. Oh, interesting. One condition is that kind of everyone else pays for it. Um, They want money from, you know, from the feds, from, from state. I think they were also saying that like, that Victorian state government should send them money that they would have spent to do it instead, which is just like, it's so ridiculous. You're being cheeky, Tom Tate. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, Tom Tate, Councillor Tate said, or Mayor Tate said, the Premier of Victoria's lemon, the Gold Coast can turn that into lemonade because that's how we roll. (laughs) They're crazy up on the Gold Coast. They really are. Too much They're weed. High on, the, on the fatted by-election, yeah. <laughs> That's right. They've gone mad with power. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We've defeated the Greens here on the Gold Coast, so we can have the Commonwealth yeah. Games now. They, they, yes, emboldened by their success in the fatted by-election, <laughs> they're ready to take on the world. <laughs> If you're interested in yeah hearing more about the 2032 Brisbane Olympics and the campaign by the Greens and and Amy McMahon and, and Max as well here in Brizzy, episode 58 is that interview with Amy. And if you're in Queensland as well, especially if you're around South Brisbane, but if you're in Queensland at all, there's a form email on Amy's website that you can use to contact your local MP and tell them to invest in things like housing and education instead of the Olympics. We'll put the link in the show notes, but it's amymcmahon.com forward slash QLD Olympics. Maybe we should have an event in which people compete for a basic social safety net. So, like, you do the marathon and then the winner gets, like, Tom, a house. We, don't we already have that? Isn't that just capitalism? Oh! You're competing with others <laughs> to get the house? <laughs> That's literally <laughs> how it works. I'm Except sorry. Except that, you know, the starting blocks are all different. Yes. Wow. We just did satire. Dear landlord, please heed these words that I speak. I know you've suffered much, but in this you are not so you. 
Speaking of needing a house, um, <laughs> I hear that your rent is changing, Emerald. What's going on? What's your rental situation? Yeah, I hope none of, of our listeners or our viewers, more likely on YouTube, are too attached with the background <laughs> of my home because uh, it may not be around for much longer. Um, I received the news that I thought was probably coming that my rent is increasing. So I will probably need to move soon. By what, by a significant percentage, were you saying? Mm, by 25%. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, it is not a reasonable amount for me, myself, and I. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, you got to kick out those housemates. There you go. We'll get them to chip all my, in more. All my housemates. Well, this is yeah. the thing. I used to have housemates. I'm lucky enough to, well, at one point I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to pay the extra so I can live alone and not deal with a revolving cast of housemates anymore, but that means that I'm, I might say, over-leveraged uh, myself on the amount of rent that I pay, and so it increasing makes it pretty unfeasible for me. Um, are you dealing directly with your landlord or do you have an agent? There's an agent, yeah. I think I'll go back and say that, you know, I think this is an unreasonable increase based on, you know, market rents in the area for similar places. Would you consider blah? But ultimately I think I'm going to just have to, I, I think I'm going to start looking and see if I can buy an apartment, you know, based on my own entrepreneurial skills and <laughs> prowess, AKA maybe some help from my family members, please. <laughs> <laughs> and the serious stage of Patreon, which will be And the serious stage of Patreon. That's right. So that is seriousdangerpod.com. All the details are there. You know, if you can throw in a cool, thousand bucks a month something like that <laughs> well have you considered that maybe your landlord is just an ordinary person just just just, just they're struggling too and they're trying to get by i hadn't considered that at all i don't know is there some reading that i should do to this on this topic yes oh um, <laughs> fiona martin is a typical landlord but she's not what you expect Ooh. this is a piece by nigel gladstone now i'm sorry if you're if your name is nigel you can't write about class issues or about anyone struggling or like <laughs> any kind of sympathy stuff. I'm sorry, Nigel's you you gotta you gotta get out of the game. Is that no a good. high class name? Nigel, really? Nigel. I just think loser. Because you think Nigel no <laughs> friends, you know? Isn't that what you think? When I hear Nigel, I just think Nigel no friends. I would love to meet a working class Nigel. It's never happened to me. Mm. But anyway. Yeah. Did you see this article doing the rounds on social yeah, media? Yes, so of course week? I saw the fucking article doing the fucking rounds. <laughs> I would say it is a funny article reading through it and there are a lot of frustrating things which we'll get to, but it's it's actually not quite as bad as maybe you think by the time you get into it, but there's still not, plenty of shitty things. You know, much like much like landlords, not as bad as you might think. <laughs> is that kind of what you're saying? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so this, uh, this is uh, posted on July 17th, an interesting insight into the struggle of um, – you know, ordinary people doing it tough. Fiona Martin and her children live in a rented home that she can't afford to buy. Luckily, her rent is subsidised by income from a modest investment property she's paying off. Martin, whose investment property is in Kew, Melbourne, works as a real estate vendor advocate, helping <laughs> people sell property all over Victoria. But many of her clients are now selling their investment properties because they're no longer financially worthwhile due to rising interest rates and the time oh. it takes to manage them is, quote, just a pain. Oh, such a pain. Such a pain. There's a photo of the article of her with her with the, with the kids and her adorable dog, and I think that's cheating. Landlords can't have those kind of cute dogs in these photos. That's like, Well, that's... actually, Tom, landlords can have dogs. It's just <laughs> renters that can't. 
So, well, but she's yeah. renting. Presumably this is in her rental property. Oh, where I guess yeah. She's... Well, there you go. While Australian landlords are often portrayed as affluent aristocrats, Martin <laughs> is more typical of the more than 80% of the rental market owned by individuals or mum and dad investors, says Australian Landlords Association President Andrew Kent. Okay, yep. Most landlords report a taxable income of less than $100,000 and there are more landlords in the $18,200 to $45,000 income bracket than the 120 to 180K range, recent tax data shows. More than 300,000 people who own rental property reported a taxable income below $18,200 in 2021. Now- uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A few red flags there. What's your initial uh, response to this? Apparently, these poor people just have all these houses. And, uh, That's amazing. And Less than $18,200. Taxable income, did you say, Tom? Do you think there's... Something going on there? You know, in today's cost of living crisis, that's that's really low. That's very, very low. Did you say now, taxable income, Tom? Yes, taxable income. Now, this is the sort of, this is the little tricky thing that is in no <laughs> way really acknowledged in this article whatsoever. The fact that, of course, rich people who earn lots of money can mm. afford to pay for accountants that make sure that mm. they're income that they pay tax on is actually much, much smaller than the amount of money that's actually coming in every single month. And, in fact, we know that shitloads of old people own investment properties and, in fact, people who are on superannuation or retired um, are often reporting absolutely zero taxable income because of all the deductions they can have and the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like super income is not actually taxed. So it's really not a very accurate description of Mm. the kind of people who are owning Investment properties and uh, making some sweet, sweet coin in this rental crisis. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think the the kind of figures that you were just listing off when they're like, there are all these people within the most common brackets of, of income or whether they're, you know, mums or dads and blah, 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 that own property. And I'm like, well, if you look at something that is the largest group statistically in the country, it kind of makes sense that that's going to be at least a significant proportion. But then if you try to extrapolate that into whether being in that group makes you more or less likely to yes. own property or more or less able to own property, that's when you start to see that it is much more difficult when you are poorer and it is much more easy when you are richer like and more likely when you are richer, you know? It's, it's like what is this article trying to do is like to provide more nuances to what landlords are, but it's like, no, you just look at dodgy data points to try yes. and temper down people's anger at the landed yeah. gentry, you fucking weirdos. Yeah. Uh, there's an assumption that landlords are bad and tenants deserve more because they're poorer, because they can't afford to buy. Martin, who sits on the Australian Landlords Association Committee, says, <laughs> but the majority of landlords have single investment properties and their families. Uh-huh. Imagine a family a family can't do anything wrong. If you're if you're part of a family, if you're a mum and dad, then you're good and you can't be bad. You see? <laughs> someone yeah, someone said this one of my colleagues when we were sharing this article, and it's like, um, the majority of landlords have children. And we're like, yep, sounds kind of likely. Uh <laughs> someone said, Yes, you know, the it's brought out by the data. Most yes. Russian SARS have children. <laughs> so <laughs> what's the problem? <laughs> What should we do with those children? Well, no, that's not a good <laughs> um, 
Now, I've just acknowledged there that I read from the article that Fiona Martin sits on the Australian Landlords Association Committee. Now, would you be surprised to know that that was not actually originally acknowledged in this article whatsoever? Oh, it didn't say that there. It did not say that. This has been added. The Age had to add a clarification (laughs) saying that they've updated the article and said an earlier version of the story did not mention that Fiona Martin is a member of the Australian Landlords Association Committee. Oh, my God. Wow. Media is so good in this country. It's so good. And her profile on the ALA website is great. Fiona has worked as a real estate agent for over 15 years with a strong passion for property and people's experiences as property property owners. She is on the committee to see some big changes in representing landlords where they haven't previously had a voice. Oh, they have no voice. But get this, and I reckon this is why she was chosen for this article. Fiona is also a landlord and currently a tenant, which gives her an insight into rental industry from multiple perspectives, both personal and professional. No, that's no, not no. That's not how it works. That doesn't mean that. That yeah. is not how that works. This is like this is just a uh, yes, classic small L liberal approach, like no class analysis whatsoever. So, mm. oh, this person rents and is also a landlord, yeah. so they see it from both sides. Actually, it's like being like, I have three bank accounts. One of them have one million dollars, <laughs> and one has only ten dollars. So I have perspective of a millionaire and a very poor person. <laughs> My taxable income is $5, so I know what it's like to be poor. Yeah, yeah, says Gautam Adani. God. Her view is borne out by the data. Landlords are likely to be households with children. About four in ten fit the family category and two-thirds have two incomes. Why do you think that matters? Why do you think the rich people That's just that it's quite common to have children. (laughs) In fact, you're more likely to have kids if you're rich. For fuck's sake. Imagine yeah, this is like an article that's like murderers aren't who you think. 80% of murderers have children. They're family people, mums and dads. Mums and dads you know? murderers. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is where we get very interesting. The top five landlord occupations by raw numbers are general oh, manager, yeah. <laughs> school teacher, <laughs> chief executive or managing director, registered mm. nurse, and accountant. Hospitality workers, including bartenders, baristas, waiters, and fast food cooks, are the least likely landlords at about 2%. Oh, okay. Interesting. But I, when I looked at the graph in the article, the top was like surgeon. Yeah, so that means the, the of all the surgeons, then the high, the, they have the highest proportion right, of landlords by, within yeah, them. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So 42% but of all surgeons have about. an investment this property. Is, yes. 41% this of an exactly what I mean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so obviously, yes, in these more high-salaried professions, uh, property ownership, being a landlord, is much more common. Yeah, the way that they have used the data is, again, just like it, it's shit. It's bad fucking analysis of data. They take a category that is very large and then be like, well, there's a large number of landlords in this category instead of yes. looking at the prevalence or the proportion of landlords in each category, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that most of Australia's landlords are working families or middle-income earners doesn't fit the political narrative that the top end of town runs most of the rental market. I I don't know, again, who people, like whether that is actually the narrative, depending on what no, you mean by top end from, of town, yeah, for example. Yeah. Top end of town is like big capital and, yeah, Gina Reinhardt isn't a landlord. Is that what we're thinking about? She probably is, I guess. I mean, I'd say she is, but yeah. However, some professions do come closer to fitting the stereotype. Surgeons, school principals, and mining engineers own rental properties at some of the highest rates in Australia. Oh, okay. There you go. More than one in three people in the fields reported rental incomes Mm, in 2021. Yeah, so there you go. 
So they do it, but they don't, yeah, but they've got this point to make in their article that they then they then have to kind of, you know, wrangle in these dodgy fucking points to prove the headline. Tax office data back to 2012 shows a consistent pattern of people who work in jobs that pay close to an average income dominating the rental property landscape. Okay, first of all, so you just go by jobs that haven't rental income, so you're not talking about what these individual people earn. Mm -hmm. Averaging income is also warped by data by the Mm -hmm. massively high um, uh, wages at the top end, so that's also not a very Mm -hmm. uh, accurate data reading either. For example, the top 40 occupations of people who own rental properties include workers in childcare, the disability sector and aged care, motor mechanics, truck drivers, receptionists, sales assistants, and police officers. Cops. I mean, cops. The cops have got them. They love cops. And, you know, yes, this is also data that was regularly trotted out in the 2019 campaign. The Liberals constantly saying Mm. nurses and doctors and stuff, they they all do it. It's just ordinary people. But I think also what this completely misses is the fact that you know, yes, we're talking about a housing crisis that's gotten worse in recent generations. So, yes, for our, the baby boomer generation, you did have people on relatively modest incomes or, or closer to the median yeah. income who were able to become landlords and have investment properties because housing mm-hmm. prices weren't so insane. Mm-hmm. People getting into the market now as investors are absolutely, you know, something else is going on there. Either yeah. they're getting help from their parents or they're very wealthy people. Um, yeah. Through, through other means, you know. Mm. Now, this is when the clarification sort of helps to, to lay out the full picture. But the landlord income picture is skewed by older people and others who have low taxable incomes but own large assets. Taxable incomes can be reduced by negative gearing assets such as property and shares if the cost of owning them outweighs the income they generate each year. However, more than 1 million negatively geared taxpayers received less than $10,000 in deductions from their income in 2021, and many received no net benefit because their taxable income was so low they didn't pay any tax on it. And you get to this point, you got to go, okay, what is the point you're trying to make here? What are you actually trying to say? That landlords are heroes, that they're just involved in the rental property market because they love providing housing, or are you failing to acknowledge the fact that people are buying these houses as investments and the thing they get out of it is massive capital gains at the end of this whole process. So even if they're losing money while they're renting out their house, uh, renting out these investment properties, they are still making it out like bandits once they eventually sell that property further down the track because the housing crisis has got even worse. Also, what is missing from this article is the acknowledgement that it's not always true that landlords are losing money and it really could have... I think to give the broader context, linked to an article that was reported in the SMH as well, which talked about uh, this data that was released in June, which showed that landlords made $3.1 billion in profit (laughs) in the first financial year of the pandemic, right? The ATO released the data for 2020-2021. There were 2.2 million landlords. 53% of them were either made a profit or didn't lose money on their rental investment that year. This is when interest rates were at rock bottom levels at 0.1%. Yeah. It's the first time that more landlords earned a profit than made a loss since the Howard government introduced a 50% discount on capital gains tax uh, for assets owned for more than 12 months. So, of course, we know that landlords are losing money on their investment. They're able to use those losses and minimise their taxes, which mm. might also help explain why they have such low taxable income when you look yeah. at all these landlords, for fuck's sake. And, of course, at the end of it, you're, you know, you're, you're minimising your tax bill, minimising your tax bill as you're renting out this property as you pay off the mortgage on it, and then, of course, you eventually sell it and make a sweet capital gain. And the capital gain that you make is also taxed at a lower rate for some inexplicable reason, mainly because John Howard is a cunt. 
<laughs> I mean, I think that, yeah, there is some sort of interesting discussion maybe about the construction of the landlord as a venture or landlordism as a venture that it has changed historically, you know, landlord yes. being an occupation, really, not that yes. it's a real job. Obviously, I would never think that, um, <laughs> but that someone could, they would just actually own a bunch of properties, often be, if you know, from a very wealthy background, wealthy family, um, and they would get money from tenants and use that as their income. And we still sort of think about property investment like that. But it's true that now with the preponderance of, you know, debt and, and mortgages as the norm, it's mm. less likely, less common for people to actually own the property. And instead, it's this, you know, the benefits of, of investment for the majority of people who do it is kind of working towards an asset way down the line in the future that, you know, will help them in their retirement or will potentially be passed down to their children in theory. Um, and otherwise the benefits are in this kind of complex taxation structure and, and benefits that, that they get from, from that. Right. Mm. Like, so it's true that yes, there's not that classic, like it's not like big, you know, Mr. Big John who owns all of the land yep. in the village gets all the rents and that's how they make their money. Sure. But I don't think that that is really what anyone who has a genuine critique of our housing system and landlordism believes about all landlords now, right? <laughs> sure. And I think, and we've talked about this on the show before, even the Greens have shifted somewhat or at least ameliorated or taken on a new political strategy when it comes to something like negative gearing, for example, acknowledging the fact that something like 70% of all landlords, of all people who own investment property only have one and changing our negative gearing policy to restricting that tax concession to just one investment property. Okay, so really mm -hmm. trying to target those who own multiple investment properties, acknowledging the fact that because of all these political and economic shifts over the past 30 years and stuff, there are lots of people who, yes, in no way, who are people who um, we want to represent and who's aren't necessarily in a position of extraordinary material mm -hmm. security who may happen to own an investment property. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, I can imagine there are lots of families who are renting, who own an investment property that it's like a one bedroom apartment that they could never actually mm. live in themselves with their family. Yeah. So sure, it, it's a little bit complicated, but I suppose yeah. this idea that we should be crying <laughs> for these people, for this exploited class, uh, which is what no. this article seems to be going for is bullshit. Yeah. Well, it's because our economic system has created um, a vacuum of or a dearth of any other way to build wealth or, um, you know, make, yeah, yes. like really to, to grow your wealth. Anywhere, so your your wages aren't going anywhere. Yeah. So it's only like real estate is the one thing. And so everyone then has to try and get in on it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was really interesting. So this is also data that was released. This is from uh, in June of this year, we got this art, this data about 2020, 2021. Um, and this really change things for me or at least clarified the situation uh, the situation when it comes to you know the number of landlords and what your average typical landlord is like the data collected in 2020-2021 financial year revealed that 51% of rental properties were owned by an individual who owns at least 2.6 rental properties which was 20% mm. higher than 20 years earlier so this is a vice mm. article saying that your chances are your landlord owns at least two and a half other properties on the average. Mm -hmm. So again, 70% of all people who have an investment property only have one 
but more than 50% of all the investment properties out there, all the houses that are being rented out, the properties that are being rented out to renters are owned by people who have multiple properties. So again, just remember how many properties individual people have. Some of them have Mm -hmm. hundreds, literally hundreds Mm -hmm. of properties as part of their investment portfolio. Uh, but these are very rarely profiled. These yeah. aren't regarded as typical landlords because, of mm-hmm. course, most landlords only most have one landlords. property. That's right. Yes, you focus yeah. on either yeah the property versus the landlord. It's a very different story. But like, and it kind of it proves their point when they're like when they do point to people who have over leveraged themselves to get into the you know quote property market. Yep. And how like that that has been difficult for them to do potentially. But it's like, yes, because that's what we always say is that meanwhile, there are these investors who just got yep. their sixth home and it was far easier for them to do that than it was for the ordinary person to buy their first. Yeah. So I, I, the other thing I'd say here is like a big critique of this article, the SMH, people were losing their minds about. Again, I think it's a pretty shitty article. There is still some information, interesting information and data about the mm. state of the housing market. But people say, what about renters? And the truth is it was there was a whole other article about the renting crisis, and it was sort of a, a dual piece, a piece series, one focused on the typical landlord and the other fo- focused on the rental crisis. I'll put the link for both articles in the show notes. I still think it's definitely worth reading both of them to sort of give the overview, and I think once you read both articles, it's a little less infuriating than maybe um, headlines and the screenshots headline. of, of this, this poor little Fiona Martin um, who is part of the <laughs> fucking Australian Landlords Association. <laughs> A dog would never be a landlord. (laughs) Um, Just a few little points from this uh, renters article that was interesting. People aged 25 to 34 are the largest and fastest growing group of renters at 1.6 million in 2021. 1.6 million people aged between 25 and 34 in this country are renting. It's it's Mm. close to half of all young people, Mm. generally speaking, are, are renters, which is pretty fucking wild. And, hey, Maybe that's why millennials and Zoomers are pretty angry about the current Mm. system. I thought this was interesting. Managing Director of the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, Dr. Michael Fotheringham, says most developed countries' rental markets are dominated by institutional investors with thousands of properties in their portfolio, broadly running on rental yield to support stable, happy tenants long term. Our model is based on small investors, people owning one or occasionally more than one property and capital gain is where it's at. So flipping tenants and flipping properties is (laughs) incentivised. We make it easier to have mm. investment property than it is to own occupy. So that's really interesting. The, the idea that oh, they're mum and dad investors. They're just ordinary people. Tra- like, yeah, that's actually worse. That's actually a worse system mm. when it comes to trying to change anything for tenants' rights, right? Because of course, any idea that we should cap rents or freeze rents or increase tenants' rights is responded. But but these are just mum and dads who own own your property. Who watch and- the block and <laughs> want to fucking flip a house? Yeah. So I mean, and again, we want public housing. We we don't want a profit-driven housing market. But I, I do we have feelings about whether a different model, like in Europe, where there are these institutional investors, I suppose, where there are just sort of massive companies whose job is to be a rental housing provider, as cooked as that is, whether that's still better than our system of just this kind of one-to-one outsourcing of the provision of housing to yeah, mums and dads. Mm. I don't know. I'd have to think more about whether one is better, like whether that's better 
I just, I think they're both bad, you know. They're both bad. But, again, in Germany you have leases that are like 10 years long and renders, oh, yeah. oh, renders in, rights of are far more stronger. In terms yeah. of, that's right, like in terms of the rental system, right. the private rental market is far better regulated in those places. Sure. And those are exactly the kind of, you know, reformist uh, proposals that yep. the, the Greens as a social democratic party are making um, is to move in that direction. But, yes, in terms of like fundamentally the the goal would be a, a public housing market or, you know, not a not-for-profit housing market. Yeah. The other funny thing about the uh, the rental article is that they talk about Airbnbs. Short-term rentals have also taken properties out of the long-term mm. rental market. Fiona Martin, a Victorian real estate vendor advocate who sits on the Australian Landlords Association. So even in the fucking renting article, we're talking to this goddamn, this goddamn lady person. from the ALA. Yeah. says Airbnb can be financially more rewarding for landlords than having a tenant. She said real estate agents are actively managing short-term rentals now for landlords who have switched their property's use. Oh, so you don't give a shit about providing housing or you're not really doing it tough. You just want to make as much money as possible out of this asset yeah. that you've created, which exploits people's basic human need for shelter. Okay, cool. Thanks, Fiona. Yeah. Depends, you know, what what um, angle you're trying to take with this interview. But Fiona's available for whatever you need, you know, yes. as long as it benefits her and her organisation. <laughs> This guy had a chat with Fiona Martin and wrote two fucking articles about it. Um, and I thought this this sort of uh, intervention from the New South Wales Tenant Union spokesman, Leo Patterson-Rose, was interesting. He says there's a misalignment of priorities that stems from years of framing rental property as an investment despite housing being an essential service and mm. may mean landlords don't have the capital to meet their obligations for repairs. If you're mm. looking to grow wealth, it conflicts with providing stable, affordable housing. We've set up this housing system that's debt-based, meaning you have to rely on prices increasing for it to make sense as an investment strategy, which has also changed the way people approach home ownership, where they're now looking at the potential capital growth on their own home because they have to mm. justify spending so much money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so I suppose one thing you could say for an institutional investor model, or at least when rental is being provided by larger companies, I guess they would perhaps be better prepared to invest in in property, in like property repairs, maybe like they'd just be in a better position in which they could use expertise to to realistically estimate the kind of costs in, involved in upkeeping a property for meeting rental standards. When you sure. have a small mum and dad investor model, they're like, oh, don't call a builder or whatever. I'll fix it myself. Or, and in fact, they profile a renter, uh, this woman who's living in this shitty property and the, and the landlord's like, I do all the, the repairs to my property myself, which of course means that they're never done and they're never done. In a yeah, way you get the actually- landlord special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The rental article finishes with, uh, so how do we fix the rental crisis? Oh. Two paragraphs. Can't wait to find out. There's not one thing you need to do, and as long as we continue to frame the conversation about around what's the one thing we should do, we're just chipping the edges. This is fothering True, him from the angry. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. I mean, we, can I we just need a revolution. say that yeah. we're talking about Nigel being a not working class name. This guy's name is Fotheringham. Not a good look. <laughs> I, he's, Yeah. Dr. Fotheringham. It requires a complex, coordinated approach involving multiple players. The National Housing Accord is the right concept. It's not going to be simple to put together, but they're working on it actively right now. (sighs) What a relief. So good to hear. I hope that they can sort it out before October the 11th specifically, (laughs) please. (laughs) Is that that when things get particularly bad? Yes. Well, I'll tell you who is working hard. For affordable housing, Labor MP for Richmond, Justine Elliott, who did My tweet good out friend. this extraordinary tweet this week saying that I'm going to keep fighting for 
affordable housing, no matter how many trolls the Liberals and the Greens send after me. And she tweeted a photo of herself <laughs> that I guess is like this Barbie. It's the template. Everyone's, it's, template. It was like a filter that they did to promote right. it. I think they put it on Instagram. And you get to describe what kind of Barbie you are or what you're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. Well, this Barbie is fighting for more affordable housing. Who is in Justine Elliott's team? I just want to talk. I just want to talk. Come on. She's a girl boss and you can't handle it. That's right. That's right. I'm just a big old misogynist. I hate to see women, specifically women landlords from the Labor Party, uh, (laughs) destroying the fucking uh, place that I grew up, but I just hate to see them winning, you know? Wow. (laughs) That's right. All right, that's this week's show. A call to action for you, uh, very relevant to our discussion there about renting, is that the submissions for the Greens 1 Senate inquiry into the rental housing crisis are open now. Get involved, everybody. You can get involved, Emerald. Get involved. I probably, I think I will be making a submission. I will do this, yes. Yeah, I will be encouraging people that I know to make a submission. I have, like, the people, all the people closest to me in my circle are currently dealing with fucked rental situations, whether it's, yeah, like refusing to make very urgent repairs um, or raising the rent unreasonably, whatever it is. I'm like, I know everyone's got a story, so you should tell yours. Um, They they close on the 4th of August, so you don't have too long. It's like a couple of weeks. um, And there's a we can put a link in the show notes to the Greens page where you can find more info about it and make a submission. Yes, you can make a submission whether you're currently renting or not. Mm. If you're a former renter as well, we want that experience. Ask, ask, yeah. Answering questions like how would you describe your experience? What role do you think the government and or state and territory governments should take in relation to the rental market? Anything else you want to let them know? And, you know, on that website, they sort of lay out why, why this actually matters. Now, mm. for months, renters have been silenced in the national debate about housing, but now Labor will be forced to hear from uh-huh. thousands of renters we'll about pin their experience. them down and whisper in their ear. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a sexy way, <laughs> in a revolutionary way. I think we've laid out our scepticism about, you know, endless reports and commissions and experts mm. and inquiries and stuff. But I think the argument, certainly from the Greens party room, is that yeah, this can build the case. Uh, it can uh, help underline the, the calls for rash, uh, rent freezes or caps. And mm. if we have first-person stories, you know, the kind of, stuff that will be disseminated across the media and that the um, Greens could use in Parliament and, you know, generally in the campaign and fighting for, you know, better renters' rights and actually doing something about the out-of-control rent increases, as Emerald Moon knows, um, that really can help. So by August the 4th, make your submission links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Serious Danger podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things that are happening in Australian green politics but not officially. Um, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm trying a new professional approach. Ooh, you can good. rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. If you'd like to support the show further, you can support us on Patreon for just $3 a month uh, or follow us at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you'd like more information, just head to seriousdangerpod.com. If you'd like to send us an email, you can oh, email us. Jesus. Hello like at seriousdangerpod.com. If you haven't fallen asleep already, (laughs) 
Goodbye and good night. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> 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 <laughs>